0: 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 we'll be reading <clears throat> verse 1 through verse 16a I'm not going to read all of verse 16 just the first sentence of verse 16 which is not very long 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 through 16a I'll be reading out the new King James version as is our custom God's word declares therefore since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bond servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then... Death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. One Sunday morning growing up, I woke up, had breakfast, got ready for Sunday school, and promptly got sick and vomited. And my mom was a Sunday school teacher, my dad was a deacon, they looked at me and said, son, we got too much work. <laughs> it, you're just going to have to come along. I think I was eight. You're just going to have to come along and tough it out. <laughs> I don't know how many people I got sick at church that day, but it was not a good scene. <laughs> so it was a. appreciate what that, you have to do to get here sometimes. Well, this morning we are going to uh, have a message that hopefully will be at a, Challenge, but an encouragement as Paul continues his testimony. And it goes along with ministry. Uh, what it takes to minister faithfully. And it's going to be uh, convicting because of our softness. In our culture, we have come to. A degree of uh, not complacency, I think I believe most Christians would like to serve God more, but of an expectancy that as we do so that there will be crowds of people waiting to congratulate us, encourage us, and thank us. We do not have a philosophy of ministry that is built upon God is built upon rather our flesh and Paul is going to direct us to understand a philosophy of ministry that will press on not by the sheer determination of a strong-willed individual which many people, I don't know how, have concluded that I have, called stubbornness, but rather out of a Theology that brings us to an attitude of heart that drives our life that is summarized by Paul in the English with three words, four words, we do not lose heart. And this we want to consider more fully today. I told you we would one day get to this aspect of Paul's message here. And today is that day when we press into chapter 4, verses 7 and following, and consider Paul's testimony of his uh, cooperation with the plan of God to bring light into a dark place. Before we look into this, let's go, Lord, in prayer together. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us, for the opportunity today to glorify your name by the study of your word, as we have sung your praises, and now look into your word, we want your name magnified, lifted up, exalted. And we are not capable of doing that of our own strength and skill. We pray for your help this morning. That your spirit might direct our thoughts, that we might respond to his work by faith, believing, respond by uh, Obedience by submission to your truth, and knowing that as we do so, that you've promised your hand a blessing upon those who hear your word and believe it. And Lord, our prayers that we might be of that quality of people, individually, but also corporately, that as a church it might be uh, the desire of our heart corporately as a as a single body. Obey your word and be faithful to its truth. Lord, we do thank you also for the privilege that we have of not only having your uh, spirit within us, your people around us, but your word before us. Help us not to take that for granted. We do not certainly worship it, but we worship the God it declares. And as you reveal yourself today, Lord, uh, we thank you that you loved us enough send your son and then to send us word of him in the scriptures we pray now as we study it that you might direct us in it in Christ Jesus name amen well we have looked carefully and maybe deliberately to you maybe it's been just taken too long to get through some of this at Paul's presentation of the gospel that we have a dark place that we are called upon uh, by God, to penetrate with the light of his gospel, not the light of our reasoning or of our uh, enthusiasm or our uh, charisma, but rather we penetrate it with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which to some men is a light to bring them to the gospel, other men is a light to expose their sin and bring them under judgment, but a light nonetheless. And so we have God engaged in this ministry... Of bringing first a lesser light to the dark world to draw them to that light of faith in Jesus Christ, uh, to bring them into being sons of the light by going through the door of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We have found last week that the darkness was not of God's making, that it was man's making, and that perpetuating the darkness, that is, keeping in the darkness, is not to be laid upon the shoulders of God, is not to be laid at his feet as though he's responsible for it, but rather it is the God of this age. We also saw that it was the the tendency, the leaning of men, to want to stay in their darkness, to uh, because they've grown accustomed to darkness. And when they are confronted with light, they squint at it, they turn away from it, they shield themselves from it, um, because they don't like what it reveals. Uh, Wednesday night at our closing, I shared the story of the Samaritan woman, and just to see her response to the light of God revealing to her her sin. And what a weird response she had. She uh, tried to redirect it a little bit, uh, not really understanding who it was she was dealing with, but once she understood that this was... I mean, she'd already said, you must be a prophet. Now let me ask you this uh, religious question about where we should worship. And he goes right back to who God is and that your sin has been an affront to God. But it's her testimony that she goes out and she doesn't try to conceal the fact that one of the first steps in her trip, her her uh, walk towards God, was this revelation of her sin. In fact, As I share Wednesday night, that is exactly the thing that she shared with everybody. Come and hear, if I see the guy, come and meet the guy who told me all the sin I've done. What a wonderful response to great preaching. You see, we have a choice of responding like her and realizing what a blessing to have my sins exposed and now they can be dealt with. Or we can respond like the Pharisees and get really upset and mad and stomp around and, and uh, make Christ our enemy or the the messenger our enemy because he called us a sinner. It's still the case today that those are the, re- the responses and the people saw the effect and came and wanted to meet Christ face to face. So we have the lesser light to show uh, the glory of the holiness of God as opposed to the hideousness of our sin. But that lesser light is to draw us to this wonderful light of Christ that God sent into the world. That while the God of this age wants to blind men's eyes and hearts, while we want to blind our own hearts, Uh, While we have all of this wants to keep us in darkness, none of which is driven by the purposes or commands or the working of God. Rather, we saw last week that what God has done has brought in these lights, the lesser light than the greater light, and He has commanded this light to shine. He has shined it into our hearts that we might have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 4. And so, this is what God has done that it is His desire that all men come to repentance, which means that all men may be confronted with their sin. He has promised by His Holy Spirit that all men will come under the conviction of their sin, of God's righteousness, and of a sure judgment to come. All of these things God has promised, not because he is mean-hearted and wants us all to feel bad, but because it's the first step in bringing the solution to your sin problem. It is by his grace and mercy that he exposes sin so that we can turn from it, trust in his son Jesus Christ who has delivered us from sin. This is the working of God. And shame on any who would bring to God's charge sin and the death and darkness that accompanied it. But we have such theologians around us today who seem to forget that the Scriptures declare that no man when he is tempted should say he is tempted of God. For God is not tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone else. God evil is such an abhorrent that to charge him of it is perhaps one of the grossest statements or beliefs that we can hold. No, he comes into the darkness we create, the evil one creates, and he commands light to shine there. Now, having set that groundwork very carefully, Paul now presses into his agency in that plan of God. What is his role? And by transference, by association with Paul as a minister of the gospel, um, what is our role? We can now connect. Um, The God of this age is doing his part. Wicked men are in darkness. We saw the the necessity of the law, and we saw that God comes in and wants to penetrate the darkness with the light. Um, So what does that mean about me now that I've come into the light of the sun, Of light, having accepted Christ Jesus as my Savior, what now am I responsible for with regards to this activity of God? After all, we just shared that it is God that wants to bring the Holy Spirit to convict. He says His word will not return void, but He also has another agent in this plan. That agent is you and I, humanity, His believers, His body, workers of the bringing of light. And so Paul, we begin in verse 7, begins to discuss uh, our role. And he uses the the first person plural, and so we're seeing him draw in his own entourage of ministers, if you will. And We have Timothy and and Titus, uh, Luke, uh, Trophimus, Erastus. We have a a good group of assembly. Uh, Of course, um, Silas. He administered with Barnabas. We, we have a, a Paul seldom traveling by himself. And so he is going to describe how they, we who are believers, engage in this wondrous work of God to have light shine in the darkness of men's hearts. But I want to back up and just catch one word. In verse 6, Because it's going to come out extensively, uh, not maybe completely this week, more so next week, but it needs to come out. In verse 6, we have the giving of the light, and the light here is the knowledge of the glory of God. And it's that word knowledge that I want to talk about a little bit. Because we have a, a very powerful growing movement um, that once that is focused on feelings that by touching men 's feelings and this is not something that 's just uh, for your twenty and 30 year olds here uh, This was born out of uh, maybe even back most people were put to charge to uh, a couple of hundred years ago on the in front of charles Finney but and others, but we've seen it borne out that now uh, we are less interested in knowledge of God and more interested in feelings. In how uh, of of tapping the sensations uh, of men, that we can draw them into an emotional response to an emotional message. and God's Declaration is that penetrating light, which will drop us to our knees when we are confronted with it and will certainly bring forth tears of true repentance, is not built upon an emotional re- uh, approach. It is built upon truth, upon knowledge. And we're going to find this borne out throughout this passage, stretching into chapter 5 where we are going to find out about the knowledge of the glory of God. That once we know who God is and what he is like, we will immediately do like the Old Testament prophets of old, that when they are confronted with the glory of God and and a knowledge of him, they, they drop down and they declare, Woe is me, I'm undone. And this is the foundation of it. So when we get into a very emotionally charged passage... And we're going to see a lot of words that to us are going to bring forth some very powerful feelings, I think, and, and uh, of sometimes despair. He's going to use that word of discouragement, of, uh, of just wanting to give up. We're going to see all of these very powerful uh, feelings. And Paul says, none of those are going to have victory over me in ministry because of the nature of the light God is shown in our hearts. And that nature is not an emotive thing. It is a, a knowledge. And this isn't just cognitive information about God, but this is an intimate knowledge of Him. Not just an information list, but knowing who He is and how He works. Now I can, there, and, I, and let me illustrate this a little bit. Um, the difference between just a a cursory knowledge of something and intimate knowledge of something. I have a cursory knowledge of my computer. I know that there is a screen, that there is a uh, hard drive, that there is uh, something called RAM and you can't eat it, that there is... What else do I know that's in there? A processor. And I have a keyboard and a mouse, and I have a little bit. But if you asked me how to really program any of that and to work, you would not want me to come and work on your computer. I do not have that kind of intimate knowledge of how they work. I really don't want it either. It kind of goes right along with my understanding of how engines work. I really don't want to do those things. I can and I have some knowledge, but that's a little dangerous to get under a hood with. For most people, that's the circumstance with God. They know a lot of stuff about Him. And because they have this body of information, they confuse that with really knowing him. And the sad part is with that body of information, they can get a lot of misinformation and wrong conclusions out of it. And so the what we are talking about ministering is not an emotive thing, but a movement of truth about who God is in Jesus Christ. So how do what, what's involved in that? Verse 7. But we have this treasure and it is a treasure. The knowledge of the glory of God that brings conviction of sin, this light that shines in a dark place is a treasure. Let's just stop right there and meditate on that just a moment, okay? This is a treasure. We're not talking about something to be ashamed of. We're not talking about something that is of no value. It is the greatest Thing of value in the universe is the treasury of the knowledge of the Holy One, of God and His glory. It is the greatest endeavor of man to uh, discover it, to learn of it, but also to grow in it. And I tell people that I have the best job on the planet and And anyone who thinks that I'm looking for an advancement or a promotion um, doesn't understand my job. I have the greatest job on the planet. You actually pay me to do what I would do for free. And what you should want to do. In fact, maybe pay to do. And that is to study in and, and invest yourself in this wonderful treasure that God has given us, the knowledge of his glory in Jesus Christ. And so we are given possession of this as a wondrous treasure. In the teachings of Christ, in the the parables, he talks about these talents and that they are given this substantial amount of monetary units, talents. With an expectation that they'll take it and they'll multiply it. And so we have the same view through Paul's eyes that we have this treasure, that God has put it into our hands and now has an expectation with regard to it in terms of what we do with it. If we go and bury it out of fear of using it, uh, we can expect some horrible results. And the results are frightening, to tell you the truth. If you go back to that parable, the result of that man who took his one talent and went and buried it and brought it forth as one talent was that he had it taken away from him and cast into everlasting darkness. Now, I don't know what that means to you, but to me, that sounds an awful lot like you're not going to heaven. That if we are genuine possessors of the treasure of the light, of the glory of God, the knowledge of Him, if we are genuinely true managers, owners of that, by faith in Jesus Christ, we will then use it the way God wants us to use it, has instructed us and commanded us to use it. And to fail to do so is simply demonstrating that we, it isn't a genuine treasure to us. Nor is glorifying God of any serious interest to us. and So we begin immediately with a position that we are talking about those who are of genuine faith, who recognize the supreme value of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This treasure... is being carried in a horrible thing called an earthen vessel. <laughs> and The earthen vessel he's referring to is your flesh. Your weak body and mind. Your person. And this just should amaze us at God, that he has this wonderful, the, the most supremely valued thing ever, the knowledge of his glory in the person of Jesus Christ, that he pours into weak, limited, temporal vessels to penetrate the world with that very knowledge, with that light. That we become the instruments by which he illuminates men. Why? <laughs> Why would God do this? Why wouldn't he just have a direct ministry through or take angels or or do some miraculous event in every person's life? Give them dreams and visions. Why through people like us? Why give a command for us to do this? The last half of verse 7 tells us that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. When the knowledge of the glory of God through the face of Jesus Christ penetrates our hearts, that transformation that we talked about at the end of chapter 3, that transforms us from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord, is the evidence that we lay out before in the courtroom of men's minds, we lay that out, there's the evidence of the power of God. that is He who has transformed me and not myself. And if you want evidence that it's not me, here it is. I am just a weak earthen vessel, prone to breakage, temporary in nature. It'll wear out. It's weak. But carrying in here is this wondrous treasure that is not the creation of the earthen vessel. I didn't create this message. I can't produce this light. There is no power within me that makes this happen. It is not because, and we hear, we we hear this statement from the world. I really admire your this or your that, and I hear it. You know, your honesty, your your integrity, your your. Uh, uh, Whatever. It's not mine. And so when I go and I refuse to be, allow them to undercharge me at the store because I know what the price is, even if the person there doesn't know what the price is, um, and they say, well, you're an honest person. That didn't come from me. I'm the earthen vessel. It is for the power of the glory of God. I said, no, by my own choice, I would be a sinner. And I would choose anything that benefits me and I don't care who, who it hurts. That is the philosophy of this world, to elevate oneself. We come to the power of God to work in men his glory. And so our focus is on the treasure, not on the vessel. We don't get caught up in the box when we consider its contents. And brethren, compared to the contents, that's all we are, is a piece of cardboard box. Let's not elevate our role too highly. Our objective is to demonstrate what God can do with cardboard boxes that allow him to fill them. We demonstrate his power And so what does that power look like? And here comes its application, and this part's going to be a little difficult. So far, we're great. We love, verse 7, that we have a treasure. I'm a treasure bearer. Right? Isn't that exciting? I'm a treasure bearer. And while I am weak and fragile, I know that about myself, that, that, that I only have a few years Uh, that i I fail that i struggle that i i get tired i get hungry um, i get thirsty i need uh, all of these things to be cared for i get cold i get hot i i have struggles but i have this wondrous divine treasure that god has granted me in his grace and mercy through jesus christ And we're excited about that. And we're excited to hear this statement that now the power of God is going to be seen not by the glorifying of us, but by the glorifying of God in us. And even that, we go, that is just so wonderful. And then we get to verse 8 and we go, what happened? (laughs) All the wonderfulness just kind of. Wait a minute. I'm carrying the excellence of the power of God. It's the light for the world. I have this treasure in me. I'm wonderful. No, you aren't wonderful. Remember, you're just the cardboard box carrying the wonderful thing that God put in there. He is the origin, and no one gets excited about the box. Well, they do when they're children, which maybe is where most of us are spiritually. You know, I buy my children a Christmas gift. I remember one year here, I told you that the best gift to give them if they're under five years old is not what's in the box, just the box. They'll go and play with it. We got them some big thing, and they played with that box for weeks and weeks and weeks after Christmas. There was no even reason to get out the thing that was in the box. I should have just put that in the attic and waited. Let them play with the box till it's destroyed. Because they're children. They don't understand the value of what's in the box. They just like the box because they can play with it and manipulate it. And for many Christians that's where they're at maturity wise we start thinking with the box as something wonderful because we don't understand the value of what's in it as you mature you discover the value is not in the box it's wearing out <laughs> it's weak the value is what's it's carrying and here this vessel's carrying A wonderful treasure. So what happens to the box? Verse 8. We are hard pressed on every side. And I'm going to skip the, the positive response. Because we... I'm going to focus on the positive responses. I'm not going to ignore them. But I don't want you to miss what was happening to Paul. We get to the positive statements of what's not happening to him. And we overlook... What is happening to Paul? What is he actually enduring as being the vessel of the treasury of the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ? So here, let's read this very carefully. We are hard-pressed on every side. We are perplexed, persecuted, struck down, carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Verse 11, where you live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Verse 12, so then death is working in us. This is what was going on in Paul's life as the vessel of the treasure of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. And while we want to get excited about the fact that it doesn't Crush or despair, all the other, or or bring us to those extremes. In in so doing, we miss understanding what He is willing to endure. And this week, I got a box delivered here, and the box is in really bad shape. In fact, it looks like it got in such bad shape that the uh, delivery company had to do some repairs to it uh, because the box wasn't really what I bought. Right, The box wasn't what I was looking forward to seeing or having. I understood the purpose of the box was to carry something and to guard what it was carrying. And we carry this treasure. And sometimes the purpose of the box is to take the punishment to guard the treasure. And Paul viewed his ministry that I will endure all of this to guard the wonder of the treasure of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. And so they're going to buffet my body. They're going to stone me. They're going to oppose me. He describes it in terms that none of us are comfortable with because we are so comfortable in life. As I said, we, and I easily put myself in that category, we are just too soft in ministry. If we don't get a large following, if we don't get lots of likes to our postings, if we don't you know, on Facebook, if we don't get applause, if we don't get our backs slapped and patted, if we don't get praise of men, we give up. We simply give up because we are so soft and we think the box should be counted as something valuable Paul wasn't so soft he was pressed perplexed persecuted Caring about him the dying of the Lord. Prepared to be at death at any moment. He had enemies that wanted to kill him all the time. Everywhere he went. Essentially saying he was being hunted. Always delivered to death for Christ's sake. This is the condition that he was willing to suffer and gladly so. Why? Because the Treasure was the value, not the box that was being used to carry the treasure to people. We are the delivery system of God's wondrous treasure. To transport it from this place of light into that place of darkness. And we are the instruments, the the containers that God has chosen to use to ship it there. And Paul understood his purpose. His purpose was not to have everyone glorify him. When they tried to do that, he stripped off his clothes and ran through there screaming, Stop! Oh, that we would have ministers that would be willing to do that. I think only once in my life that I had to actively have an opportunity to really think about that. But it's going on today all the time. Uh, We don't uh, worship them with wanting to sacrifice idols to them like what happened there to... Paul and Barnabas that day. Um, But I hear it. I see it. These are followers of men rather than followers of God. And it doesn't matter who their favorite Bible teacher is. He can do no wrong. And he can never make error. And he can not be... In fact, I've been taken to task by several because I said something that that contradicted their favorite Bible teacher. Um, Imagine. Usually I was reading the Bible at the time. (laughs) But... We have this elevation of men, and Paul, when men tried to elevate him to that point that that, uh, they would worship him and let him glorify the box, stripped off, said, we are men just like you. The power that is at work is not from me, it's from God. It is built upon the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Any attempt of men to elevate Paul, Paul resisted. Because he knew he was the box and not the treasure. That one time that I directly experienced what I think happens in a lot of churches in the elevation of men was in India. where having conducted a service. A gentleman comes up and Falls at my feet and bows down and is sitting there worshiping me and wanting to touch me. Sure, that by touching me, that somehow the power of God would come into him or something. I don't know all of his motives. And just to get down on my knees and say, No, don't do this. And Pastor Reddy coming alongside and explaining to him in his own language, No, 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 don't do this. I'm just the box. I'm a carrier to transport to you the treasure that is not me. It is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Once we have that view of our role, of our purpose, now we can endure what Paul describes himself enduring. You see, the problem is our self-image. We have lifted ourselves up so high that we really think the box is valuable. And the world wants us to believe that. Why? Because as soon as the box becomes valuable, you never see the treasure. Everyone's looking at the box. Wow, pretty box. Really nice box. No one thinks to open it and see the treasure that's inside. But once we understand the value our role, that we are simply the the vessels for the treasure to travel in. Now we can endure all of this. We can be beat up. We can be pressed on side. We can be opposed. We can be knocked about. We can be kicked. We can be ignored. We can be unthanked. And press on. And not just press on dragging our poor little selves along, nobody loves me, and kicking the dirt as we go. Um, No, we'll press on, as Paul describes, pressing on without losing any heart. We don't lose heart. There is no disappointment that people mistreat the box. Why? Because I don't trust in the box. I'm trusting in the treasure inside of the box. And every time they do any damage to the box, and the box looks weaker and weaker, guess what? More attention becomes on the treasure in the box. The value is shifted from the box to the treasure. And that's what we want, isn't it? For people to be penetrated with the treasure of the glory of God. in the person of Jesus Christ so when Paul talks about being transformed by the Spirit from glory to glory, it is about diminishing the role of the earthen vessels of this temporary bodies of these flesh. That the treasure that we have been given might shine forth. And in that condition, when we are ready to get to there, and, and I, I hesitate, I honestly hesitate, not because my time is running out, but I honestly hesitate to even get to the last half of these statements. You know why? Because we're not mature enough to expect the first half, let alone braced to accept it, and applaud it, and glory in it, and, and rejoice that we are counted worthy of suffering for His namesake. Oh no, we think suffering is... You know, if I throw a party, nobody comes. That's suffering because we've gotten so soft that we're afraid of offending people's sensitivities. We want to make sure we're politically correct, and we'll be if the media or someone gets a handle on it, or a friend or a coworker starts calling us radical. I want that title applied to me because I know what it will cost me and I don't want to pay that price. Why? Because you don't value the treasure. You're valuing the box. It comes in. Brethren, it is true. By God's faithfulness to us, we cannot be crushed We cannot have despair. We will not be forsaken. We cannot be destroyed. uh, And we have life. But our objective is to make sure that Jesus is shown in our mortal flesh. When we start elevating the flesh, which our humanistic perspective of life, which all of us have been tainted by because of our culture, that thinks that this body is worth preserving, is worth strengthening, is worth beautifying, have missed the real treasure of the eternal one, the Holy One, Jesus Christ. Although we would take as much attention every morning to our spiritual condition as we are to our physical condition before we leave for work or school or church. To make sure we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. To make sure we are washed from our sin and the blood of the Lamb. To be sure that we are fed spiritual food before we head out for the day. I'm sure you take care of all that physically before you go Why? Because we glorify the box. We forget about the treasure we're carrying. Paul didn't do that. By faith, he endured all of this. And he was going to glory in it even more later on in 2 Corinthians, but he understood his role, his role in God's plan for all men is to draw them to a point where they can come out of the darkness into being sons of the light was to be the box to ship that light to them and he knew his role and because of that he endured the punishment of this world understanding that whatever they did to his box wasn't really that big a deal because of the treasure That they couldn't touch. They could never touch the treasury that God had placed within him when he by faith accepted this knowledge of the Holy One and his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Once you have that treasure, it is untouchable by the world. And this is what the secondary statements over and over again talk about is that while they can do damage to the box, they can't touch the treasure And so as much damage as they want to do to my flesh, let them do it. Press me, but you can't crush me. You can put some dents in the box, but you'll never be able to crush the power, the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can confuse and perplex me a little bit. And I might walk through life and look at situations and say, why? And and I might look at these things and, and consider, oh, this this is sorrowful. This is this this hurts to look at and even to consider. And when I sit down with my children and look at what they're confronted with in this world and I go, Oh, this is horrible. It's perplexing. But do I have despair? Do I just say there's no hope? oh no, in this world there's nothing but perplexity. There's anguish in our spirit towards what we see around us. And when we want to respond, I, 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 I'm frustrated with some of the Christian responses because it's like they want to fight the world on the world's terms. No. We have a treasure. There is no despair because they can't touch what's eternal that God has worked in us. The darkness cannot diminish the light. And so, there's never despair because our hope was never in this world to begin with. My hope isn't in the United States of America. Our chaplain's hope is not in in the Chain of command. Their hope isn't in their supreme commander. No. Our chaplain's hope is in the Lord. It is the army of the Lord that we are interested in participating in, not of this world. And so our government can do whatever they want with their army because fundamentally it's not my army. I'm of the Lord. That is untouched. So I have no despair. I can never come to despair because I know the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ and I transformed from the glory of the law to the glory of salvation in Christ and therefore I always have hope. Not hopefulness in terms of a feeling but confidence in the truth of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. Persecuted, oh yes, the world will be against us, but not forsaken. God will never be. Unless we're just burying the treasure in the dirt. And when Christ tells that man, depart from me into outer darkness, we weigh it seriously. I can't help but reflect upon the Psalms and how many of them keep asking, God, do not forsake me. Which is a plea not because God tends towards unfaithfulness, but because we tend to forget the treasure of His glory. It is our sin that needs to be forsaken by us, that God might be at work in us. So we are persecuted, but God will not forsake us. If we continue to value the treasure that we carry, we are struck down by men, even to the point of death. But though they slay us, they can't destroy us. Big difference. Do not fear those who can take your do imagery to your body. Take your physical life. Rather, fear Him who you face after death. Fear that one who determines your eternal destiny. When that is in our pressed upon our conscience, upon our heart, and in our life, it will be evidence and we'll have a strength of character that enables us to endure all this because we recognize that God is faithful. And as we mature in the Lord, we realize that death isn't the worst thing. (laughs) Sometimes it's life that's the worst thing. But Paul says, I'm willing to carry around the death of Christ. I'll face death all day long. What is his motivation? Well, certainly to give glory to God, but he brings it out here in our text very quickly um, in verse 12. I'm going through all of this. I'm going to endure it so the power of God can be seen so that you recognize it's not me, but it's the treasure that I carry. I'm just the box, delivering to you a great treasure. But he says, this death working in us, verse 12, but life in you. And he's going to repeat that a little bit later on and and talk about that uh, what he goes through is for their benefit He's willing to extinguish himself for them. His physical death, if if that's necessary, to bring spiritual life to them, he'll gladly do it. He'll gladly expend himself that they might have life. Because we follow an example, that example's name is Jesus Christ, who suffered and died that we might live. And just to share with you how soft we are, I have, over the course of my ministry, heard the number one reason people leave ministry responsibilities, whether Sunday school teachers or nursery workers or um, deacons or such along that line. The number one thing I've, I've heard over the years, these decades of ministry, is I'm just burned out. And I just kind of shrug my shoulders at that because I don't see that anywhere in here. I'm just burned out. Well, apparently that's because you lit fire to the box instead of the treasure. Paul says, I want to be burned out so that the treasure only is what people look at. I want to expend myself. I I want to give every moment I have, every energy, every resource at my disposal, and I want to spend it for Christ. Why? Because I consider others' need of light and life greater than my need for comfort. That's what it boils down to. Do we consider other people's need for life more important than our need for comfort? I just don't want to have to suffer. I just don't want to have hard times. And that's why the health wealth gospel succeeds so much in America is because we value comfort of ourselves over life of others. Paul says, the spirit of our faith is built not upon my own willfulness, is built upon a treasure that I carry. I believe and therefore I speak. It's because of what Paul believed that he could do what he did. It's because he had a mature knowledge of the glory of a holy, holy God that he could do what he did if we are weak in this regard, if we are soft in our approach to ministry, it is because we don't have the mature knowledge of the light, of the knowledge of, uh, of the glory of God. We have not emphasized it enough. We have not excelled in it. We have not given ourselves over to it. And so our spirit is naked, dirty, hungry, and thirsty because we have not attended to it. We have confined faith down to a single sentence or two. and We have confined its exercise down to a couple hours a week. For Paul, real faith, in verse 13, says, whatever I believe, I have to speak. I have to live it out every day so that Jesus may be shown, that's verse 11, that Jesus may be manifested in my mortal flesh so that they can get through looking at Paul and see the treasure of the knowledge of the glory of God in me. I want to show it, manifest it. I want to reveal God. I don't want to... uh, Have anyone get too excited about my mortal flesh. I really want them to be excited about the treasure I'm carrying to them. Don't bow down to me. We're just men. Rather, bow down to the one who can give you life from the dead. Can give you new lives for old. That can take sin and give you righteousness. This is the one we want to exalt and lift up so that when it comes time for giving thanks, verse 15, all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God and not us. Ultimately, ultimately my concern is not about whether anyone appreciates my ministry or not, nor should yours be. It's not how many attend to listen to a well-prepared Sunday school lesson or sermon. Ultimately, it is about using every opportunity to expose within what is within us, the treasure within us, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ for whosoever's benefit that thanksgiving can abound to the glory of God. I simply want to glorify God. And this needs to be the power of ministry, is to glorify God and not ourselves. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your truth before us, and it is encouraging that you are so faithful to have deposited within these frail creatures a wonder A treasure. The knowledge of you. And a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, we cannot cease to give thanks to your name for that treasure. But Lord, we must confess before you that we have too often in our lives gloried in the box that carries it. And for this, Lord, we pray for your forgiveness, because this is sin. For anything that robs you of glory is sin. This Lord we pray that you might, as you have encouraged us of your faithfulness and of the wonder of what you've placed in our care, that we might also be convicted of unnecessarily emphasizing the vessel, instead of the treasure it carries. Lord, if there's any empty boxes here, or any who have taken that treasure and buried it in the sin of this world, Lord, I pray that they might come to know you as Savior today. And for those who claim your name, Lord, we know that there is a day of judgment, a reckoning, an accounting that we must make before you for that treasure you've placed within us. Lord, give us the wisdom to be wise stewards of it. For we know that you are faithful to empower us and strengthen us if we will simply live by that spirit of faith that we see evident in Paul. Lord, raise up such individuals from this assembly. Not to my praise or the praise of Deserals Baptist Church, but to yours. Thanksgiving of all, I be to you in your glory. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.